Well, it is six o'clock and I want to respect everybody's time because we have a lot, a lot happening this evening. A lot of questions, a lot of good uh, learning opportunities for our uh, participants. And I'm so happy we're able to offer this. I'm going to start by handing this off to the this year's president of the Tillamook branch of AAUW. Make sure that she's unmuted. Uh, Susan Pierce Henderson. And she's currently unmuting and we'll get started here in a moment. Thank you, Lisa. Just uh, hello to each of you. And it's with a great deal of respect, the uh, AAUW welcomes you to this gathering. And we intend to learn from the candidates and their positions on the issues. Just a little bit about AAUW, we formed in 1938 and we've been operating nonpartisan since then. And we currently have about 60 members in the local area. And three of our members have over 50 years of membership. One, Claire Peterson's been a member for over 74 years. Just another little bit about AAUW. It is a national organization with over 170,000 members. And our mission is to advance gender equity through research, education, and advocacy, our vision is equity for all. And we need to thank those who made this possible. And that's Tillamook Bay Community College. And Lisa will add to that list. Now we look forward to meeting the candidates. And we're so fortunate to have Lisa Phipps, our public policy chair, who's an experienced and fair moderator. Thank you, Lisa. Well, thank you, Susan, I appreciate that. Uh, this is gonna be a little different experience for this moderator this evening. So um, we're all gonna do a little bit of learning, I think, as we move through tonight. I would love to thank the folks that have helped to make this possible. Uh, of course, the Tillamook branch of AAUW, as Susan said, is um, committed to providing these types of educational opportunities for our citizens. Um, and we take great pride in being able to bring these to you. I also would like to thank the Headlight Herald uh, who did a great deal of public publicity for us as well as we'll be providing um, access to this um, event uh, after it's over. So you will be able to listen to the recording again if you're so inclined or to share it with people who may be missed, who may have missed it. Uh, I'd like to thank the Tillamook Bay Community College. We started this conversation with them. They have been a great supporter of the political forums that uh, AAUW hosts, and I appreciate their interest in partnering with us on this educational opportunity. Uh, the Pacific City Nestucca Valley Chamber of Commerce um, it started out, they were reaching out to us because they heard that we were hosting a forum and they didn't want to do it on the same date. And then it turned into a partnership and we're very, very happy to have that connection. And then KMUN, uh, KMUN is providing us with this link this evening. 
And they will also be rebroadcasting this event uh, and we'll make that announcement as soon as possible. They've been having a little bit of technical difficulty uh, and we're hoping to get this live on air this evening. It may still happen, but right now uh, we will definitely see them rebroadcasting it at a later date. Um, and we are really privileged to have all these folks helping support this uh, event today. So just a few ground rules. Um, we have eight candidates. We have six running for uh, state positions and two running for a local office, the Tillamook County Sheriff. We will do the state positions first and we will do them all together. Um, often we will separate out the positions, but in this instance, based on some of the questions that we've been receiving in advance, uh, we would simply be repeating ourselves. So we will have all of the candidates uh, available for questions uh, for the state positions from now until approximately 7.30. At that point, we will then move into the local race for Tillamook County Sheriff, and they will be the only two um, at that point that we will be um, questioning. Um, I have accepted questions by email. If you saw some of the public notices, you'll see there was an opportunity for that, but there's also an opportunity this evening to provide questions, uh, you'll see a chat function down at the bottom of your screen. If you click on that, um, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, if you click on that, it will open up a box that will allow you to send a message to me directly. Um, one of the things that we do with this forum is we have always had the questions provided in written format. Um, and so there's an anonymity to the process, but also it allows us an opportunity to make sure that the question is uh, presented in a way that is um, unemotional and appropriate. Um, I will edit out swear rudes and wor rude words. Um, and that does happen in politics. It's a pretty emotional, it's a pretty emotional process. Um, but the gist of your question will make it. We have way more questions than we have time. If there's a question that you really wanted a candidate to answer, I would strongly encourage you to reach out to them individually. Um, every candidate is prepared for their constituents to reach out to them. And uh, these folks are no different. Um, you, we wanna make sure you get your answers, but we will not get to all questions today. So um, with that being said, uh, we're going to start out that uh, each candidate will have three minutes to provide opening remarks. These will be timed. Uh, we will then move into the questions. There's a one minute response per question per candidate. Uh, in the event that the question appears complex enough that that seems that it would be shortcutting the, the opportunity to uh, convey a perspective, um, I, we may extend it to a minute 30. Not all questions are for all candidates. Um, some are directed to specific candidates. Um, some are directed towards specific candidates, but actually are appropriate for all candidates. Um, if you, we have bundled the questions, so you may not have your exact question answered, but hopefully the topic area will be answered. Uh, and again, if you need to dive deeper into it with your candidate, uh, I would encourage you to reach out to them. 
uh, will rotate. There will be no real order to how I ask folks to answer questions for the general questions. This allows everyone an opportunity to be first and last. There's benefits and cons to both. And um, I think that that sets the stage. Uh, again, folks, um, right now we're gonna be focusing on the state position candidates. So if you could limit your chat questions to those positions, I would appreciate it. I'd be worried that the sheriff questions might get lost in the, in the, um, in the lineup. So if you can hold off on your sheriff's questions until the end, I would appreciate it. So I'm now going to unmute all of our uh, candidates and leave them unmuted uh, during uh, this next hour and a half. And here, one more. Okay, it looks like everybody's up and going. And just for folks on the viewing in the viewing audience, if you're not familiar with Zoom, you can change the way the screen looks. Um, it, it looks a little different on everybody's, but you have the option to do a gallery view, which is the full suite of folks that are participating in general. So all of the um, participants as well as people attending. Or you can do gallery view, which in theory, galley view, which in theory is supposed to only bring up the person who's talking. Um, it doesn't always work, but uh, that is the intent. So with that being said, I'm just going to start at the top of my list and um, provide uh, Mr. Sherman running for state representative, uh, his first three minutes and all candidates, if you could please make sure to include the district that you are um, running for office for as well as just a little bit of the geography so people have a sense of space, that would be great. All right, thank you very much. And Mr. Sherman, your three minutes starts now. Great. Well, thank you. Uh, so again, I'm Max Sherman and I'm running for House District 10, which includes uh, South Tillamook County, Lincoln County, and uh, some small portions of Polk and Yamhill County. So it's a pleasure to be here this evening. Uh, this November, I'm asking people to set party aside and look at outcomes. Are we happy with the direction our legislators taking coast, our coast range and coastal communities? I'm running to challenge the status quo that puts coastal jobs, education, and infrastructure on the back burner. I'm running because I've watched coastal lawmakers vote to send disproportionate shares of our tax dollars to the Portland metro area. I'm running because I believe we deserve better. We deserve a representative who votes for community first, not for Portland, and not for special interest donors whose agendas don't benefit coastal communities. As a retired energy uh, educator and small business owner, I bring a lens to policy dis discussions that can help our community thrive. I'm also willing to put my money where my mouth is and will be donating my legislative salary after taxes back to the community. It's time to people first. Oregon is facing a leadership crisis. Uh, from our response to COVID-19, particularly in schools, to wildfires that are still uncontained and calls to defund, defund our police, something needs to change. I love this country and state and I've decided I had to do something. For me, this race is personal. I want my kids and grandkids to enjoy the freedoms that I have had and to have pride for our state. I want, to be able to, uh, I want them to be able to afford to live in a manner they choose, knowing that taxes and regulations will be fair and reasonable. I want them to know that their freedoms and rights are protected and that all the amendments of our constitution are honored. 
I want them to feel safe in their homes and in their communities. I want them to know that their leaders will listen and work for all the people that they represent. Now is the time for change. If we have strength and determination, we can bring change about for a better Oregon. And you can find more uh, out about me by uh, checking out my website, which is uh, maxsherman.org. Thank you. Great, thank you very much. Let me reset. Um, Representative Gomberg. Well, thank you so much, uh, Lisa. Thank you to all the organizers tonight. Thank you to everybody that is uh, listening in. Um, I'm so pleased to be with you, although I have to also say I'm disappointed to not be in a crowded room at the community college as we often are for these debates. And the reason for that is, is obvious. Um, it's a hard year in Oregon. It's a hard year when we're dealing with the pandemic and with the economy and with the fires. And I have to say that our part of Oregon is getting hit the hardest. Someday we'll tell stories about the, uh, the year 2020 and how those stories end will depend on our ability to bridge the divides that too often have been separating us. Uh, the divide between urban and rural Oregon, the divide between red and blue Oregon, or the divide between, between people that are working and depending on tourists for their income and people that are retired and are very tired of all the tourists that are coming here. I've worked very hard to bridge those divides. I've worked to listen to all sides, to seek compromise, and when necessary, when a bill looked like it was going to pass and needed to uh, be improved, I looked for amendments. And I'll tell you, the Portland leadership isn't particularly happy with me about that, and I've got the scars to show it. But still, throughout all of that, I believe I've been able to deliver for our district and to deliver for Tillamook County. Um, I kept the uh, Pacific City Airport in, uh, in public hands, not private hands. Um, I uh, was able to bring home a million dollars for an emergency road in and out of Neskowin. I got money for the Tillamook Courthouse. And on the legislative front, I was able to get dairy exempted from the corporate activity tax. I was able to lead on trying to get Democrats and also Republicans to seek liability waivers for COVID in the face of, uh, of the pandemic. And I've worked hard to pass legislation dealing with emergency uh, awareness. My major supporters in this race reflect the industries and the working people of the Central Coast. My major supporters include the Tillamook Creamery, Pacific Seafood, um, the uh, Board of Realtors and the uh, wine growers across Oregon. I am endorsed by the National Organization of Women, the League of Conservation Voters, the American Federation of Teachers, the Consumer League, and the Council of Retired Citizens who say I'm one of the best champions of retirees in the Capitol. Um, I've also been nominated by the Independent Party of Oregon in addition to the Democratic Party. That's a big 30 deal. 30 seconds. Thank you. I pride myself really on showing up on communicating, on listening, and working to fairly represent our diverse district. Thank you so very much for honoring, honoring me with this responsibility of representing all of you. Thank you very much. Uh, does that work for folks if I just say 30 seconds, 10 seconds, or would you like a visual cue? I'm just afraid it will get lost on the screen. Is that, is that comfortable with everyone? Okay, well then, the next race will move to, uh, we'll go to Mayor Weber. Thank you. I was, I am uh, representing, would like to represent uh, House District 32. I've got the map right behind me, Tillamook, Clatsop County, 
um, over east to uh, Banks and Gaston. It's quite a large area. I would be proud to represent it. I uh, want to thank you for doing this tonight. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I was born and raised in northern Minnesota. I moved to Oregon in 1970, and it's 50 years later, and I'm still here because I love the people and I love the place. I taught first, second, and third grades and a special class at Wilson Elementary just down the block here for 30 years. I loved my job. I still maintain contact with many of my former students. My sister-in-law and I had two small businesses, Tea and Cakes for 10 years and Cordelia's for eight years. And we learned a lot about how small businesses are run and the challenges. I was married to my husband, Tom, for 39 years, and he gave me an appreciation for farming, the forest, and trucking. He also was an avid sports fisherman. Uh, sadly, we lost him to pancreatic cancer in 2015. Politically speaking, I, am the, uh, I was a city councilor in Tillamook for eight years, and I am currently the mayor of the city of Tillamook, and I have been for 10 years. I'm in the middle of my third term. I thought long and hard about entering this race. But the deciding factor was the constant reminder that our legislator was not listening and was not present for us. I am a Republican and I am also the independent and libertarian candidate. I have a wide range of local citizens and organizations that are supporting my race from Bill Kerr in the North to Pete Edison in Banks, the Democratic mayor to Bill Bartline uh, here in the South. Um, I'm really grateful for all of the support that I have been given. My focus is to bring our common sense to Salem. And education is an investment in our future and it must be fully funded first. Transportation infrastructure, broadband are all vital to our survival. Those also need to be acknowledged and work needs to be done. Housing is a crisis that we must address. The common sense of our people need to be heard, needs to be heard seconds. in Salem. Thank you very much. Next we have Debbie Booth Schmidt. I'm, um, I have a request to unmute you. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. yes. Okay, great. All right. And if you could stay unmuted for the rest of this, because thank you. All right. All right. Thank you. First of all, my name is Debbie Bushmit. I am running for House District 32, which is Clatsop County, part of Tillamook County and Washington County over to almost over to Forest, um, to Forest Grove. I have lived in I moved to the North Coast 29 years ago as a single parent, raising two girls on my own. I had to work two jobs to make ends meet, and I had to make those tough decisions on whether to take the kids to the doctors or put food on the table. I feel I was one of the lucky ones. I was able to get a job where I could join a union, we had health care, and eventually I had become a small business owner. The union gave me not just job security, but the opportunity to become a leader and advocate for people in our community. 
which further led me to continue my advocacy with the Transportation Board. I still remember those hard times and will never forget them. And I know that there are people in this district that are struggling with the high cost of housing and healthcare. And now with the COVID crisis, which is impacting all of our livelihoods, especially our small businesses. I want everyone to be able to wake up with food on the table, a roof over their heads, with fully funded schools and affordable, accessible health care, mental health care, and services for our veterans with clean, safe drinking water, and the opportunity to own your own small business, no matter what background you came from. This district has been divided for too long now. I will reach out to all stakeholders to rebuild the relationships that are so essential to come up with the best solutions for our communities. I will represent everyone in this district. I feel so honored to be endorsed and supported by our essential workers from frontline healthcare workers, nurses, home care workers, to the grocery store workers that have worked so hard to keep our grocery stores open. Our teachers, our mental health care workers, our road workers, city workers, state workers, and county workers, our construction workers, and so many more. I will reach out to our BIPOC, LGBTQ, and marginalized communities and bring them into our conversations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now we'll move on to the state Senate race and we'll start with uh, Mayor Anderson. Great, thank you, Lisa. Thank you uh, all and your uh, volunteer group for putting this together. It's uh, a big job, but uh, as uh, Representative Gomberg said, it's uh, great to have something going even though we couldn't be face-to-face. Uh, -face. So I'm uh, Dick Anderson and I'm prepared to be your state senator for the coast. Uh, Senate District 5 reaches uh, along the coast from Coos Bay all the way up to Tillamook, just uh, Southeast 3rd, 3rd uh, Street there in Tillamook with a little bit of snippets into Yam Hill and Polk counties. But I don't know about you, but I'm disappointed in the uh, political climate that exists today in Oregon. What happened to the day when uh, elected individuals could uh, discuss, disagree, vote, uh, and regardless of the outcome of that vote, move on with respect to the next issue. Our legislature is out of balance and has been for a decade or more. We all assume that there is mutual, honest interaction among legislators. But with the supermajority, frankly, there isn't a need for that. One of the reasons I decided to run for Senate was so we could break that supermajority. The Democrats would still have a majority in the Senate chamber. They would need at least one Republican vote to raise taxes. That in itself would force that much needed discussion. 
wouldn't that be better for all of us, better legislation as a result? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we, we lost Commissioner Cribbins. Now I see that she's back. Okay. Back just in time. Yes. Sorry about that. I lost sound. Um, thank you so much for doing this event tonight. There's so few opportunities to have these forums um, during COVID, and I know they really matter a lot to voters. So I appreciate you guys making the time and effort to set this up. I'm Melissa Cribbins, and I'm running for Senate District 5. Senate District 5 stretches from the southern end of Coos Bay all the way up to 3rd Street in Tillamook. It's a big district, um, but it's one of the prettiest in the state, without a doubt. I have had the honor and distinct pleasure of being a Coos County Commissioner now for almost eight years. I was first elected in 2012 in the general and have won the last two times in contested primaries. I actually grew up in Coos County, right around the corner from the courthouse, and, um, and graduated from high school right after the spotted owl was listed, and uh, moved back about 14 years ago and discovered that in a lot of ways, not a lot had changed in Coos County. So when I decided to run for office, I ran because I wanted to make things better for the citizens of Coos County. They deserve to have a voice. They deserve to have somebody who cared about jobs and the economy, um, supporting our educational system, especially our community colleges, and lowering the cost and increasing access to health care. I'm one of those kids that went to community college. Um, when I graduated from high school, because of my mom's health issues, I wasn't actually able to go away <clears throat> to college. And so I went to Southwestern Oregon Community College and then got my associate's degree from Blue Mountain Community College and was able to go on to Portland State and get my undergraduate degrees in microbiology and biochemistry. And 10 years later, I went to law school. So um, I like to tell people all the time, if not for community college, I would have never had those opportunities. <laughs> my top priorities are reflected in the work that I've done as a commissioner. And, um, and I think any of my constituents would tell you that those are the things that I stand up for and the things that I truly care about. As a candidate, I think it's really important to note um, that I have a broad array of support, including the Oregon State Police Officers Association, the Bay Area Chamber of Commerce, the Oregon Nurses Association, the Firefighters Council, and county commissioners and mayors on both sides of the aisle. 30 seconds. Um, I've also been nominated by the Independent Party of Oregon, and I believe that that broad array of support reflects the work that I have done to deliver results for across the coast in the last eight years and the work that I will continue to do in Salem. Thank you so much and look forward to this. Thank you. That was great. And uh, would it help uh, because you only have one minute for your responses and I, I felt so awkward interrupting with a 30 second mark. Um, can you all see me? Am I on your screen? So if I do this, if you kind of just keep an eyeball on me, if I do this, you're at your 30 second mark, your 15 second. <laughs> Will that work? Okay. So let's give it a shot. So uh, I always believe in throwing out a softball question to begin with. Uh, 
I'm kidding. I always start with a really hard question, just so you know. All right, so uh, this first question encompasses many that we received and hopefully it helps get at um, what some folks were looking for. So if you could share your top priority for rural Oregon right now, and if elected to serve in Salem, how would this priority for rural Oregon, and there's emphasis on that, make a difference for Tillamook voters? But then if you'd like to express it along the coast, because we have folks with us from other places, that's certainly appropriate too, knowing you have one minute. So I will start uh, with, well, we'll start from where we ended. So I'll start with Commissioner Cribbins. Great, thank you so much. Um, when elected, my top priority is to help businesses and people recover from COVID and the wildfires. 2020 has been a heck of a year. I think we can all agree on that. And, um, and we need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to make sure that not only that our people that are thriving, but also that our businesses are intact and able to function and keep our people employed. And, you know, Clearly, it makes a difference for the entire coast. Um, but areas like Tillamook and like Coos County have been hit the hardest by economic recessions and are also the slowest to recover. And we need that extra help and those voices in Salem to make sure people remember that we really struggle in times like this. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, Mayor Anderson. Yes, thank you. Um, my top priority, priority for rural Oregon is actually to get the economy back on track. Um, our uh, coastal counties, uh, Lincoln County has the highest unemployment rate in the state. Uh, Tillamook is right there along with Coon. So uh, we are not only suffering now, we've suffered since the recession of 2008. So quite frankly, uh, we've got to get businesses and, and uh, people employed. Remember, this is a state uh, that has benefits, uh, income from income taxes, and that means people have to be employed in order to do that. So that would be uh, my biggest in uh, charge. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Uh, next, we'll go up to... Um, Ms. Booth, Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. So my big, my top priorities are also recovering from the COVID crisis, making sure that our students are supported and that they have the resources they need to get us get them through the school year safely this year. I know this district has um, is missing a lot of internet um, internet connections, so we need to make sure that all of our children are getting the same education. And then getting our small businesses back up and running. Our small businesses are important to the economy, not just in Tillamook County, but also in, in Clatsop County and Washington County. So those are my two top priorities. Affordable housing is also something that we need to work towards. Too many families don't have the housing they need. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Mayor Weber. Uh, thank you. I feel that at this time of COVID, uh, the virtual learning that our children 
are experiencing have shown us that we have a deficit in uh, the ability for our kids to have Wi-Fi accessibility. And so I feel that broadband and expanding broadband is ex extremely important. In fact, I've already proposed um, legislation to be introduced regarding that. And um, it would uh, increase funding for broadband expansion to counties of less than 100,000 population. I think that in addition to supporting education, that is what we need to do. Thank you. Uh, Representative Gomberg. Well, let's start with economic equity. In the last 10 years, median family incomes in Portland have gone up 35%, but here on the Central Coast, they've gone down 6%. That's simply not right. And we need to make sure that the benefits of the economic recovery in Oregon flow to all parts of Oregon. The second thing is we got to talk specifically about recovering from the pandemic and the fires and the economic uncertainties of the last few months. And anyone listening to the regular Friday morning programs here in Tillamook County have heard how Betsy Johnson and Arnie Roblin and I have fought to make sure that the federal dollars coming to Oregon are coming to all parts of Oregon. The final thing that I'll mention is getting ready for a major earthquake. We need to strengthen our schools, our police and fire stations, mm -hmm. and our hospitals. And if an earthquake doesn't come for a number of years, well, we'll just end up with better schools, better fire departments, and better hospitals. Thank you. Mr. Sherman. Thank you. So um, again, like many others, uh, COVID-19 has dealt us a uh, you know, interesting 2020 and we need to get our businesses and we need to get our schools uh, back online and uh, that needs to be a priority. Uh, it's obvious that COVID-19 is going to probably extend well into uh, 2021. Uh, and I think we need to uh, return more of the control and decision making back to some of our local areas, uh, as opposed to the approach that's been taken, uh, where we have uh, uh, county mandates uh, to uh, uh, direct our, our uh, how we go. So uh, returning more control back to local areas to help make our own decisions to work us out of this position. Great, thank you. I know uh, for folks in the audience, you, you can imagine that when that finger goes up and you know you only have 30 seconds left, it gets some emotion, it gets a little bit of the adrenaline flowing. So, um, so, so bear with everybody, they'll get used to it. All right, um, so now we're gonna switch gears uh, pretty dramatically. Uh, with the failure over the last few sessions for some meaningful updates to Oregon vaccination law, I would like to know what the candidate's position is, especially regarding mandatory vaccinations for school-aged children. So we will start uh, with, um, well, let's see, who haven't we started with yet? We'll start with Mayor Weber. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you what, I was vaccinated, my kids were vaccinated, my kids in my classroom room were vaccinated, but things have changed. One size does not fit all. And so I believe that parents need to have the ability to opt out or opt in to vaccinations as they, as they choose. Mrs. Booth Schmidt. 
Thank you. I was also vaccinated for the measles, for the smallpox, for mumps, as were my children. But there has been in the in there has been questions on how safe these vaccinations are to all of our children. So I feel that we really need to make sure that we are educating all of the parents, making sure that they know all everything that could go wrong, everything that is good on these vaccinations. But I think parents should have the ability to make that choice for their children. Thank you. Um, Mayor Anderson. Yes, thank you. Um, I too am uh, vaccinated as my kids and grandkids are, but uh, I'm a firm believer that um, some of these last bills proposed uh, went way too far. And uh, one again, once again, uh, proving that one, one size doesn't fit all. So I'm a firm believer of leaving it up to the parents to decide, you know, what their health issues are and how they should handle it. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner McCribbins. I suspected I was next. Um, as I mentioned, uh, my undergraduate degrees are in science and I always default to science on these sort of things. Um, frankly, we know that children are more likely to live to adulthood now than at any time in human history. And a lot of that is because we have eradicated diseases that caused whole families to die in the 1800s and early 1900s. Um, I realize that, that there are some people that have health issues that prevent them from getting vaccines. In those cases, there are medical exemptions, but otherwise, we should be requiring children to get vaccinated. Frankly, it's about the health of our population and it's about protecting people who are unable to get vaccinated. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Sherman. Thank you. So uh, like, like many of us have spoken before, uh, I was vaccinated, my kids were vaccinated, and my grandkids were at the doctors this, this afternoon getting vaccinated. I believe vaccines are a very important part of public health, but I also strongly support parents' rights to make choices and firmly believe that uh, parents should be able to work with their medical providers to make the best decision for their own individual families. Thank you and Representative Gombert. Well, thank you, Lisa. You know, here in Oregon, parents do have the, the option of not vaccinating their children. Mm -hmm. What they don't have is the option of not vaccinating their children and sending those kids unvaccinated to school where they put other kids at risk. And oh, by the way, it's not just other kids that are at risk when we don't have enough vaccinations in our community because a lot of these vaccinations wear off after 20, 30, 40 years and our retired populations are at risk if we do not focus on vaccinating. Now, certainly we need to make sure that those vaccinations are valid, that they're worthwhile and that they're very, very safe. But I'm in, in support of making sure that kids that come to school are vaccinated unless they've demonstrated a medical reason why they shouldn't be. Thank you. Well, we have such a diverse array of questions. You will be switching gears all evening. All right. Um, the nation has erupted in protests around issues of equality, especially for the black, indig indigenous, and people of color communities. 
Oregon is one of the whitest states with only a 3% black population. And the Oregon coast has a black population of less than 0.03%. What are your views of the protests happening in Oregon? And what would you do to help the BIPOC community feel safe and have Oregon look more like the rest of the country? Uh, let's start with um, Commissioner Cribbins. Sure. Um, you know, protests should always be allowed. We have a First Amendment in this country and we have it for a reason. I don't know what that means. Rioting, rioting and protests are not the same thing. And rioting needs to be stopped immediately. Um, we need to be protecting our police officers and we need to make sure that our police officers are safe doing their jobs. As far as supporting the BIPOC community, um, we have our BIPOC caucus in the legislature and they have been doing a good job looking at these issues of systemic racism and how these problems can be addressed. Um, I think we need to take the lead from people that have experienced racism. Um, it's not the sort of area where a 48-year-old white woman in Southern Oregon knows the best ways to solve these problems, it, but it is by coming together that we can find solutions. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Anderson. Sure. You know, I, I support any movement that takes positive uh, steps, uh, not violent steps, um, to help heal injustice. Uh, but I'm not in favor of defunding the police. Uh, and that's why I've been, been endorsed by uh, numerous uh, police law enforcement organizations. I am disappointed that the uh, BLM um, have, movement has been hijacked by uh, radical groups. And I think that's a shame. I, I do recognize that racism and uh, racial oppression in America is horrible and terrifying, but we are able to, uh, to look at racism in the eye and do something about it. We need to take action with that. Thank you. Thank you. Representative Gomberg. Thank you, Lisa. You know, the BICOP uh, um, population on the coast is growing and growing very quickly. Um, I support free speech and I support free protest of any perspective. And I'm so very proud that when we've had those gatherings here on the coast of any perspective, that they have been peaceful and they have been respectful and they have been effective. Um, in Salem, a series of proposals came forward from the People of Color Caucus on how to make improvements on police enforcement actions. Those measures were endorsed by both Republicans and Democrats and for the most part, passed unanimously, and I was very pleased to be a yes vote on those measures when they came to Salem. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Weber. Thank you. I must say that I support any movement that takes positive, nonviolent steps to heal injustice, uh, especially the injustice that people in our communities uh, have experienced. I am against any group that exploits tragedy to spread violence. Thank you. Mrs. De Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. I am in favor of peaceful protests. 
not violent protests. The violent protests we are seeing across the country is taking away from the message, Black Lives Matter. I do not believe in defunding the police. Our police officers are hard working group of people. We need to support and respect the work that they do. We need to reach out to our BIPOC communities and community, marginalized communities, make them feel welcome in all of our communities, get them involved in the things that we are doing. If we don't do that, that's one thing that we, I mean, that's one thing that we really need to do, reach out, bring them into our communities. Thank you. So next up we have um, this leads to, uh, this is actually a um, continuation of that question in a way. Uh, Americans are no longer willing to allow themselves to be policed as they have recently been policed. What do you see the near and long-term future of policing look like? What do you what do you see the near and long-term future of policing looking like? And what specifically will you do to ensure Oregonians are protected from overly aggressive policing tactics? Mr. Sherman, did I have you answer that last question, by the way? No, I didn't. <laughs> well, good heavens. As I'm looking at you to start this, I will let you answer that question because you need that opportunity. Okay. So would you like me to restate the last question? No, I think I still got it. Okay. So, you know, yeah. So uh, I fully support our first amendment and the right to peacefully protest as many, you know, as many have talked about, I am appalled that uh, the, you know, the movements with BLM have been hijacked uh, by individuals, with other agendas. Uh, and we need to address that. Our, we need to support our police uh, and uh, see to it that they have the tools that they need to, to stop the rioting that's going on. Uh, we need to recognize racism and we need to call it out where it is. Uh, you know, but you know, it's also we need to, uh, uh, we, need, we need to work to, to, to solve issues and come together and talk together with all groups uh, to solve this issue. Great. Thank you, and I, I knew things were going much too smoothly. Okay, so now I'll move on to the next question, which I will repeat again. Um, Americans are no longer willing to allow themselves to be policed as they recently have been policed. What do you see the near and long-term future of policing looking like? And what specifically will you do to ensure Oregonians are protected from overly aggressive policing tactics? You've all touched on this a little bit, but now's an opportunity to expand. And we'll start with you, Mr. Sherman, since I shortchanged you on the earlier okay. question. Thank you. So, um, you know, the, the, the first part of that question, uh, I have some concerns with a little bit. I believe that there is a larger part of our population uh, that supports our police and supports uh, what they do on a daily basis. Uh, and that 99% that of all of our officers are good people. We do to make, need to make certain that when there is uh, officers that are uh, uh, you know, in an, an abusive situation, uh, that they need to be called out and it needs to be addressed immediately. Uh, 
but we also need to, uh, again, support our police. We need to support them with training. And as a teacher, uh, you know, we had in-services constantly, uh, you know, all the time throughout the year. Uh, and our police forces need to be supported with education to see to it that they can do their job to protect us the best way possible. Thank you. Representative Gomberg. Well, thank you, Lisa. Respect for the police. Goodness, you know, it was a police officer that came through my neighborhood the uh, Tuesday after Labor Day at 530 in the morning, waking people and getting them out. And while we were running away from the fires, they were running toward them. So I've got a tremendous amount of respect for our first responders. I think that they do need the equipment and the training and the support to do their jobs well. And I was one of the legislators that fought to make sure that we got more state police on our roads rather than continuing the ongoing decline in their population because we need more of them as well. As far as how we deal with problems, um, I said a few minutes ago that I was pleased to support proposals that came through the special session earlier this year to address improvements in police behavior. And I look to the, uh, the People of Color Caucus to continue their leadership in telling us how we can make improvements that will support them. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Anderson. Yes, thank you. Um, I'm very much uh, respect and support the police and uh, would hope that would continue and build. Uh, it's certainly tough enough to hire and identify and train uh, folks to play this role. I think one of the things we've got to do and in the future will take some of the burden off them. I think we ask too much of the police. They, we're asking them to be mental health counselors, uh, domestic uh, um, referees. Um, I've had the ability and uh, enjoyment of, of attending a Citizens Academy, Police Academy, and I, I learned over nine weeks what these people have to do on a daily basis and the kind of tension and uh, stress that they're under. So I have a great deal of respect and uh, think we just need to cut back their responsibilities. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Cribbins. Thank you. As a county commissioner, I have been incredibly supportive of our sheriff's office and in making sure that they're getting the funding that they need. Um, but I will say I have noticed the phenomenon of we underfund our police agencies and then we ask them to perform every time somebody calls 911. They are the one who comes out to evacuate people if there's a forest fire. They are the one that has to respond if there is a person being disruptive, walking down the middle of the street who's clearly in the middle of mental health crisis. We need to rethink how we expect our police officers to respond. We need to rethink what is a proper situation for a police officer to have to respond in because we are putting them outside of their skill set, and then asking them to, um, to make the right choices in situations where they don't have the education or the training or frankly shouldn't have the responsibility to be the one responding. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Weber. Thank you. I have a great deal of respect for the police and especially our local police and all that they are expected to do. Um, I have received um, a great number of endorsements also from police and sheriff and chiefs throughout the state. And I value that because these folks are there for us whenever we are in peril and they are there to answer 
um, our questions to help us um, through difficult situations. The fact that we have not provided adequate training comes back on, on us. And we as a legislature need to, um, and me as a nonpartisan mayor, need to make sure that that training for all of these situations is available to our police so that we are safe and secure and so are they. Thank you. And Mrs. And Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. Once again, I wanna repeat, I do not want to defund the police. I worked in the criminal justice system for 23 mm -hmm. years and I have the highest respect for the officers that work for us. I agree. We ask our police officers to do more than what they're trained for. We need to make sure that they are getting the training they need to respond to all of the, all of the mm -hmm. incidences that happen, or we need to be funding other agencies so that they can respond. My example would mm -hmm. be mental health agencies. When a person is in a mental health crisis, we should be calling our mental health professionals, not our police officers. Eugene has a program that is working really well doing that. This is where I think we should be supporting our police officers. Thank you. Yeah, I know that's a tough question. And you could, you could, all of you could probably talk for well over a minute on that particular issue. Um, so um, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. Uh, this is this is a question, but it's um, a kind of a pledge that they're requesting. And I leave it up to you to make that decision. Um, the question is that they would like to ask every candidate for the legislature if they will pledge never to leave the premises of the Capitol for the purpose of blocking a quorum. Um, so I will start with Representative Gomberg. Yes, uh, I don't like pledges in general, but, uh, but I will say uh, affirmatively that I don't believe in walking out. I said earlier today, I believe in having conversations, negotiations, compromises, and working out agreements that benefit everybody. And you can't do that if you're not in the building. So whether it's the Democrats leaving years ago or the Republicans leaving recently, I think it's a mistake. It's an abuse of the process. And it's particularly an abuse if you go home and expect to still get paid for being there. Um, I won't leave the building. I'm gonna stay, negotiate, work for compromise and work to represent the people that sent me there rather than leaving the building before the work is done. Thank you. Mr. Sherman. Okay, so um, <laughs> this is a, you know, an issue that has uh, brought a lot of discussion about the last uh, couple of years. Uh, walking out is something that has uh, been done by both parties. Uh, when they feel very strongly about a piece of legislation that for whatever reason they cannot reach consensus on. Uh, and it's something that's been used, I believe, as an absolute last option. Uh, I do believe that the option does need to be protected. However, uh, we need to restore balance between the parties, uh, which will facilitate discussion and compromise uh, and hopefully avoid future walkouts. 
Uh, we need to sit down and communicate with each other. And that's why, again, it's so important to break that supermajority uh, to, you know, so we have that option to talk and to work out our differences. I believe that's extremely important. Thank you. Uh, Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. When elected to this position, to me, that's like being hired for a job. I've never walked out on a job. I will never walk out on this. I was president of my union for six years. I have sat at bargaining tables and not got up and left until we had a contract that all could be happy with. We can compromise and still hold firm to our values. But in any other job, you don't get up and walk out because you don't like what's going on. Thank you. Mayor Weber. Cap and trade is a massive piece of legislation that would have potentially devastated our district. I will always do what is best for the people in my district. And part of that is communication across the aisle. That can never stop. And that stopped the last time. I, will, I, I must say that I cannot pledge that I would never do that because I don't know the circumstances such as were um, in that piece of legislation, 178 pages at the end or 178 amendments. How can, how can something like that be brought forward and not, um, and not discussed as wholly as it should have been? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Anderson. Certainly, it's uh, an easy answer for me because uh, quite frankly, by electing me, uh, the Republican to the Senate seat, there would be uh, an elimination of the supermajority and there'd be no need for a walkout. Uh, as I said in my opening statement, it forces discussion. Uh, discussion, um, we like to think really does uh, transpire, but as I said again in my opening statement, with a supermajority, it's a facade because you don't need to have anything from the other side. So you just do what the public wants to see and that's committee hearings and public hearings without even caring what the other side really has to say. So electing a Republican to break the supermajority would be the way to do it. Thank you. And Commissioner Cribbins. Thank you. I wanna be clear, there is no way I would walk out, whether in the majority or in the minority. As a county commissioner for the last eight years, I have been in the political minority on a three-member board, and I have stayed, and I have compromised, and I have built relationships and trust and dealt in communication mm -hmm. and in making sure that we are finding places where we can all get something as we walk away. And so my experience as a county commissioner and the votes that I have taken prove that I know how to work across the aisles and that I'm willing to work across the aisle and that I'm actually pretty darn good at it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, now I think we're going to talk a little bit about that issue that prompted this discussion in the first place. Hmm. Um, 
although this was directed to one, I, I would like to have all of the candidates answer it. Uh, many of you have expressed strong opinions one way or the other on the cap and trade issue. And the concern is, is how can you be a balanced representative for all having expressed such strong opinions? How can we trust, how can your actions, with these actions, how can we trust you as a representative or a senator? So I will start with um, uh, Mayor Anderson. Lisa, I'm not clear on what the real question is. I understand cap and trade, but what is the point of the question? Okay, yep, let me, let me uh, stop the time. Um, so, so what they're trying to get at is, um, if you've been, if you've expressed a strong opinion on the cap and trade issue, support or opposition, um, however, you have many constituents who have many perspectives, how can they trust you to be balanced and hear other perspectives that might differ from your own? Okay. And this is a this I mean this applies to many issues correct yeah. so yeah. but this is definitely a very passionate issue for a lot of people so this is the context with which it's in. Sure. Well, let, let me try with that. Um, one, I, I think uh, I, certainly the cap and trade bill itself. Uh, I have developed a an opinion about that after the bill has been uh, put forth, but. Uh, as it's being developed, and supposedly during committees and and uh, uh, listening to arguments for and against, um, you know, I'm I'm the type that I, I listen to experts, listen to pros and cons, and then come to a conclusion. But uh, the cap and trade bill was uh, a a title bill um, that didn't reflect uh, the the body didn't reflect the title. It was a tax. Uh, it would have uh, been devastating to the coast and uh, not good. Um, so I always think of the coast first and then the state of Oregon. Thank you. Commissioner Cribbins. Thank you. As an elected official, it's really your responsibility to be the voice for your constituency. That's why you're elected. That's why the people are trusting you to go do their business. I always take input from people that are going to be impacted by any decision that we make. Um, I've discovered that many times there are consequences you never thought of um, that will have these impacts that are unforeseen. As far as cap and trade goes, um, my commission did write a letter opposing cap and trade and I voted to oppose it. I believe that the way that the last bill was written, it was not good for the coast and not good for our constituents. And I could not look my voters in the eye, many of whom are barely getting by every day and tell them that this was going to make their life better. And that's my job is to know that any legislation that we pass, it's going to make the lives of my constituents better. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to take a quick break so that everybody knows this. We are up and running now live on the air on KTCB Tillamook 89.5. All right, folks. Um, so, um, Mr. Oh, no. You Don't mute yourselves, please. <laughs> okay. Mr. Sherman. I, yeah, I'm, I'm having some internet problems. I actually... I know dropped out for a minute and had uh, reboot. So 
<laughs> okay. So uh, cap and trade. Uh, that was a bill that uh, had a lot to do with my decisions to, to run for state representative. Uh, I was opposed to the bill. Uh, still am opposed to the bill uh, and believe that it was going to cause a great deal of harm to our local communities, our small businesses, our farms, uh, our logging industries, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, I do strongly believe in compromise that we need to work towards a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a solution for uh, climate change. Um, last week, I had the opportunity to participate with the uh, Oregon Coast 350, uh, and they're starting to have some discussions with Timber Unity uh, on how we can reach some consensus. So we just we need to sit down and talk, but I cap and trade is is not uh, the way to go. Okay. Uh, Representative Gomberg. Well, Lisa, from everything I hear, cap and trade is dead. But but the climate change is not dead, and Oregon needs to take cr constructive and critical steps <clears throat> to play our role in addressing it. As far as the past votes on cap and trade go, it was clear to me from the beginning that this was coming out of committee, heading to the floor of the house and had the votes to pass. So I went to work on getting amendments to put money in the pockets of rural drivers because they drive more than people who live in the city to uh, make sure that some of the money generated was going to go to deal with dikes and levees and problems that we have in, uh, in Tillamook County um, and, uh, and to put some of that money into our roads that are affected by climate as well. And then I did one more thing. And this is one of the reasons I've got some scars because I said I was willing to take the emergency clause off that bill so Oregonians could collect signatures and vote on it if they wanted to. I trust Oregonians to make good decisions on these difficult questions. And I got in a lot of trouble for being willing to let them vote on this bill, but I do it again tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Weber. This needed to go to the voters. This did not need to be dis decided in the Senate or in the legislature. It needed to have the people speak. Now, since it didn't, what needed to happen was all of the people in the district needed to be heard and all of the, all of the ramifications of the, of the bill needed to be explored and presented to the people so that the people knew exactly what was happening. As you know, I would have voted against it. I spent a long time researching it and researching how it would impact our area and it would have been devastating. And uh, I would hope that you would make a decision um, about who would support that bill as maybe one of the things that you would decide on how to vote for this position. Thank you. Uh, Mrs. Debbie Booth, Mrs. Debbie Boothschmidt, Mrs. Boothschmidt. Thank you. As many know, I have not taken a position on cap and trade. I wasn't at the table. They were still having amendments and I hadn't talked with any constituents, any experts in the field. So I have refused to take a side. I do know whenever a bill comes to my desk, I will reach out to those that it affects, experts in the field, let's say loggers, timber um, companies, scientists, 
but also the constituents in my district. So I know how they feel. So they know exactly what's on the table and I will listen and take their, their opinions in, in my thought process, whether or not to vote for or against. Thank you. The next question is, what is your position on the use of pesticides in our in forest management practices? Um, let's see. Um, I don't think we've started with you all for a few minutes. Uh, Mayor Weber. Thank you. Um, last week, I had the opportunity to go on a virtual forest tour of Clatsop County. And in previous years, I have also gone on virtual and regular forest tours uh, put on by the um, Department of Forestry and uh, the timber companies in the area. There are so many restrictions and laws regarding the, the uh, spraying of pesticides that at this point in time, I feel that our state is taking good care of us as to the regulation of putting pesticides on our forest. There are time limits, there are um, dates in which they have to honor, there's amounts that they have to honor. I think that it is very well regulated. Thank you. Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. I have talked to timber companies, I have talked to scientists, and I have talked to residents that live close to waterways. I understand that the timber companies need to use pesticides, but I also understand that those pesticides need to be used in a way where they are not getting into the waterways, that our waterways are, that our water is staying safe and clean to drink, and it's not causing harm to anything. So it's very important that the pesticides they're using are legal and are being used safely. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mr. Sherman. So um, I taught high school agriculture and natural resources for 35 years. Uh, and uh, one, of the one of the points of discussions within lessons is the use of pesticides. Uh, our forest practices, our agricultural practices rely on what's called integrated pest management. And what that means is uh, we take a threefold approach to how we uh, address pest. The first is we look at, at uh, biological methods for control. Uh, the second is we look at mechanical methods for control and an absolute last resort is pesticides. Uh, and the pesticides are used in a responsible manner. We have uh, many controls uh, in place, uh, you know, and again, pesticides are the last resort that are an important part of our forest management. Thank you. Representative Gomberg. Well, of course, we need to protect our forests and we need to protect our forest industries. And we also need to protect our drinking water and our communities. And doing all of those things requires a very difficult, delicate balance, getting everybody in the same room and working out those hard compromises. That's exactly what happened a year and a half ago. Everybody got in the same room. They, they shared their ideas. They put their proposals on the table and they came back with a legislative draft that, 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 
didn't make everybody happy, but didn't hurt everybody either. Um, so we had, we had a workable solution. You know what happened to it? It died when, when, when members walked out of the legislature and that bill never made it to the finish line. And I couldn't have been more disappointed because so many people worked very hard to come up with the kind of compromises that we've been talking about all night here today. Thank you. Commissioner Cribbins. Thank you. I think it's important that we remember that pesticides are a tool, just like any other tool, and used properly, they're safe and they're very effective. Um, Coos County owns 15,000 acres of forest land that we manage on a sustainable rotation. We use pesticides and we use herbicides, and we do that through licensed applicators that apply pesticides and herbicides the way that they're meant to be applied. Unfortunately, there are a few bad actors, just like there are in every industry, who give um, pesticides and herbicides a bad name, and that's a shame. And we need to be cracking down on people that are not doing things correctly. We need to make sure that those people are losing their license and that they're being penalized. But we also need to make sure that responsible forest managers and land managers are still able to use all the tools at their disposal when they need to use them. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Anderson. Yes. Um, you know, I, I certainly believe in the science and there's certainly been enough science uh, around this topic and I do believe uh, Oregon has some uh, very responsible processes in place. And uh, thirdly, um, chemicals are expensive and they're not something, uh, you know, foresters uh, uh, or, or in agriculture or anything else just uh, willy nilly put out on the product. And I think that the key, if there's an issue, it's around enforcement issue. And that's where we ought to uh, pay more attention to. Are we enforcing the folks who aren't abiding by these responsible processes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the next question is, what, what will you do to help the homeless and needing veterans with healthcare? It's easy to say thank you for your service. What can you do specifically to aid veterans? And we will start with Commissioner Cribbins. Thank you. As a county commissioner, we employ VSOs, veteran service officers, that their entire job is to make sure that veterans are getting access to all the services that they need to help them file their claims, to help them get health care benefits from the VA, and to help them get connected with resources. We also invest money in the local veterans groups in Coos County. Um, Southern Oregon Veterans Outreach does that function for us. And those groups are able to reach out to veterans and really provide them with the assistance that they need. In addition to that, we have other volunteer groups. And as a matter of fact, Coos County recently donated some foreclosed property tax land to a veterans group that is building small homes for veterans to try to help get at this homelessness issue. Because frankly, we can't invest enough resources in housing for the amount of housing that people need. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Anderson. Yes, thank you. Um, Certainly the homeless situation and housing um, and mental health all go uh, together. Um, if we can house our folks, they're um, probably in a better position to stay healthy and have care. 
I also serve on a health district that we just built a new hospital. And uh, looking at those finance finances of the hospital, uh, that hospital gives a lot of free care to our citizens, veterans, and um, just run-of-the-mill citizens. So we've also invested in transitional housing to make sure that uh, our folks have some kind of shelter and care and services. So, you know, I think as a community, we've done a lot and continue to do a lot to take care of um, both these uh, groups of need. Thank you. Mayor Weber. Veteran services are vital. It's my contention that benefits um, need to be addressed and the service model of, of uh, providing those benefits also needs uh, to be expanded, to be remodeled and to be made more accessible to the folks on the coast. Um, I know that there are facilities uh, north of us that are open, but it's still a, a difficulty for um, a lot of veterans to be able to ride that far to be able to obtain those services. And so um, I think that additional housing needs to be available, but also expanding the um, locations that services can be available on the coast is an extremely important um, effort that we need to pursue. Thank you. Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. I've talked to several veterans in the Tillamook area, and all of them told me that they most of the time have to go into Portland for medical services, mental health services, and that's not okay. That's a hardship on a lot of people to have to travel that far for a one hour doctor's appointment or, or anything like that. I've also talked to um, a group in Clatsop County, Friends of the Homeless, and we need to provide places for our homeless folks to come get well so that they can become productive citizens again. Most homeless have issues, substance abuse issues, um, uh, <laughs> substance abuse issues or mental health issues. We need to get them housed, so we can help them take care of the issues they have so they can go out and get jobs and become productive citizens. Thank you. Uh, Representative Gombard. You know, Betsy Johnson and I co-chaired the committee that doubled funding for veteran services here in Oregon, doubled. And we were, when we finished with that budget, a room full of men and women in uniform stood up and applauded. I'd never seen that happen before. And then something else happened I'd never seen before, and that is that Betsy Johnson teared up. Um, you're asking what I will do in the future. Let's begin with what I've done in the past. What I will do in the future is fight to make sure that as we are forced to reduce Oregon spending in so many different budget areas, that we're not gonna be making those reductions for, for Oregon veterans. Um, we need to preserve and protect those services and we need to make sure they reach all parts of Oregon as is already said. Um, the final thing I'll say is that I'm gonna work to preserve your budget and your services and your benefits, but I also still wanna say thank you for your service. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Sherman. Thank you. So um, this is an issue that is uh, very near and dear to me. I have a daughter that is a disabled veteran and has dealt with the veteran services uh, for, for many, many years and a lot of frustration. 
so uh, I, I respect our veterans and we need to do all we can to, to help them. So as I mentioned before, uh, you know, that many of them are traveling to Portland for their care uh, and we need to have some options where they can actually get care closer and more locally. The homeless issue, which also affects our veterans is extremely important that we address it. And part of that's gonna be taking a look at some of our land use laws, uh, especially as some of the issues with tiny houses and some of those things that come up, which can give us some rapid uh, building areas to, to meet some of the homeless needs are sometimes stymied by uh, land use laws. And we need to look at those to make that easier. Thank you. Uh, next we have uh, large sums of money are poured into state campaigns. How do you stand on measure 107, which would allow limits on campaign contributions and expenses? And would it have affected your campaign to work under those, um, to work under those scenarios? Um, Representative Gomberg. Yes and no. I support the measure. I've already supported the measure by voting to send it to Oregon voters. Um, I think that the amount of cash that comes into our, uh, our campaigns and elections here in Oregon borders on the obscene and needs to be adjusted. Will it, would it have affected my race this year or any of my past races? No. Thank you. Mr. Sherman. Again, yeah, so I also uh, believe that we need definite campaign uh, restrictions here in the state of Oregon. Uh, I fully support the bill to do that. I think we have some insane amounts that are being spent in some races, uh, you know, and that we need to take a look at uh, the special interest groups uh, and out-of-state donors that are just donating insane money, amounts of money to certain campaigns. Uh, would it have affected my pant campaign? Uh, no, it would not. We're running a, uh, a lean, mean machine uh, to try to get this uh, campaign through to the uh, through to the end. Thank you, Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. I also support Measure 1107. The amount of money I'm having to spend to run this campaign is ridiculous. I can see so many other places that this money could do good. Would have affected the campaign if I didn't have the money? Probably. I will be voting for 1107 because we do need limits and some kind of a structure in what we spend on these campaigns. Thank you. Mayor Weber. Limits are a rational way to control the amount of spending. But those limits need to be true limits because it's not fair to allow uh, public employee unions to dump cash into um, our campaign, but not to let small businesses. So it needs to be looked at so that it is a true limit across the board. Hey. Are you done? Yes. Thank you. Um, uh, Mayor Anderson. Yes, uh, I'm very much in favor of uh, campaign reform. And I, I would agree as long as it's uh, fair and consistent uh, with all bodies. And I would even put in the uh, caveat that maybe consistent with federal levels so that um, we have some consistency across the board. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure my campaign is one of those that would be affected, but it's uh, one of those ridiculously high and expensive campaigns to begin with. So uh, I've had to do this twice. And uh, both times, I firm believer that the coast used, if they could have had the money, we could have used it much more wisely on the coast. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Cribbins. I am absolutely in favor of campaign finance reform and Oregon is frankly overdue for it. When I first ran for commissioner and in my subsequent races for commissioner, my average campaign contribution was $50. And it came from people like my neighbors, my friends, the people that you see at the grocery store and the people that you're accountable to every day. Um, frankly, there is no way that you can run for an office um, as a state rep or as a state senator and just get those $50 campaign contributions. It's just not possible. And so it forces candidates to spend a lot of time on the phones. And I think if we can bring it back to that grassroots campaigning where people are able to get campaign contributions from their friends and neighbors, we're doing all of Oregonian a service, all of Oregon a service. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanna make sure to leave time for your wrap up, but we did start about 12 minutes into the hour of six. And so I'm going to ask one more question. Feels like that puts a lot of pressure on me. It should be a good one. But these have all been fabulous questions and I really appreciate the conciseness and the uh, pointedness that you've all been answering them. Um, and I fear that the question I was going to ask is one of the three minute questions. <laughs> um, so I will go to the chat room and uh, this is regarding education. Education is terribly important. In the past few years, we have seen K, K through 12 funding increase while community college funding has steadily decreased. What will you do to advocate for community college funding? And are you willing to do so at the expense of other priorities? So we will start with Representative Gombard. Well, yes, community colleges have suffered in the last couple of budgets and that's a huge disappointment. Uh, I was named the very first champion uh, or friend of the uh, uh, Central Coast Community College uh, for work that I did to advocate on their behalf and also worked very hard to make sure that the small business development centers that are part of our community colleges um, get increased funding so that they can help local businesses. There was another glitch that happened with one of our small coastal colleges and when CARES dollars came out to help them get through the current economic uh, stress, they didn't get the same funding that everybody else did in Oregon. And I was able to push through legislation that made sure that they were whole and they got the dollars as well. So if we're gonna make community colleges whole, if we're gonna give them all the benefits that everybody else is getting, then we're gonna to have to take money from someplace else. I think it's money well spent. Community colleges change people's lives, improve communities, and I'm proud to be one of their strongest supporters in Salem. Thank you. Mr. Sherman. Well, as a uh, educator for 35 years, uh, education is uh, one of the cornerstones of my campaign, uh, and whether that be K through 12 or whether it be the community college system. Uh, I've worked extensively with Tillamook Bay Community College uh, in helping uh, with their industrial maintenance program. I was their welding, welding instructor, you know, and funding was always a challenge. So uh, we, do need, we do need to prioritize 
uh, funding for our community colleges. I believe there are other areas in our state budget that can be reduced, uh, but education definitely needs to be our top priority, including our community colleges. Thank you. Mayor Weber. As an educator, I know the value of education and further education, and I know the value of what we have here in TBCC. I know that it needs to be further funded, and, and it's my contention that Oregon does not have a revenue problem. Oregon has a spending problem. And I think that what we need to do is we need to fund education first when we're looking at budgets and then everything else needs to come behind that. And that means K-12 um, and TBCC and our uh, university system. Um, I, I do not believe that shortchanging them is going to enhance our lives in the least. Thank you. Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. As a mother and a grandmother, I know schooling is important. Our children are one of the biggest assets we have and we need to make sure that we are giving them the tools they need to succeed in life. And that means supporting our schools, K through 12, community colleges, trade schools. I would support legislature, I will support legislature that will help that will help support our colleges, our community college. I know that Clatsop Community College is a, a good place for our children to start. I will definitely support funding for our community colleges. Thank you. Mayor Anderson. Yes, uh, we need to recognize that our whole Oregon uh, education system ranks uh, way down on the bottom of the list and we ought to be embarrassed about it. Um, I, I agree, education needs to be funded first in any budget. As far as the community colleges, I'm a big advocate for the community colleges. I, I think we're in the age, again, of looking at the low graduation rate from high school. We've got to find skills for these people, young people to do. And vocational training makes a lot of sense Tillamook and the Oregon Coast Community College both have uh, welding programs and truck driving schools and, uh, you know, training our youth for, you know, skills that they can find living wage jobs and well-paying jobs. And we need to support them with more money. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, um, let me unmute you. <laughs> okay. Um, let me reset. Okay, Commissioner Cribbins. Thank you. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a big believer in community colleges. Um, I am a product of the community college system, as is my husband. And I've seen it give so many people an opportunity to change their life. People who thought they would never get to go to college, people who thought that they had waited too long to go to college, or people that just didn't want to leave their community, people that were downsized um, or lost their jobs in the timber industry, they've been able to go back to community college and make a difference in their life. And I think that that's an amazing thing. And that's something that we should honor and respect. I wrote an editorial a couple of years ago about the importance of fully funding our community colleges. And I've also served on the foundation for the Southwestern Oregon Community College. 
Um, I have put my money where my mouth is and don't money to the community college for scholarships. And I am a big believer that as long as we have community colleges, we need to continue to fund them as fully as possible for the benefits of our citizens. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I know there's some disappointed folks because we didn't get to all the questions uh, and I apologize for that. But again, please, please reach out to the candidates if you need to have those, question those questions answered to inform your decision. Now we're going to move into the final two minutes. This is a wrap up uh, each of the candidates will give um, and they will use this time as they see fit. So I will start, well, let's see, we started with Mr. Sherman to begin with. Um, well, I think we'll just go backwards. Uh, Commissioner Cribbins. Thank you so much. And thanks again for putting this together and for everybody who took the time to be here tonight and watch this forum. Um, I am a product of the Oregon coast. I was raised here, graduated from high school here, started college here, and I have been lucky enough to be one of those people that got to move back. So many of my friends from high school have said, I would love to come home if there was only a job for me, or if there was better, if there were better schools for my kids. And I don't always know what to say to them. I tell them, you know, we're doing everything we can. We're making all the efforts that we can. We want to get everybody back here. But we need to be making critical investments in the coast in order to help our economy and our jobs and our education. And it's been mentioned already tonight, but it bears repeating. Broadband is an area where we really need to make critical infrastructure investments. And that is a place where we can meet all of those objectives, education, healthcare, and jobs, in order to allow our citizens to settle here in this beautiful place where we're all lucky enough to live. We know what a great spot it is. We know um, that we're lucky enough to live here. And it would be great if our kids could come back here and live too. And frankly, not in our basements. So we also need to make investments in housing and, um, and get them all back here. So thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, please take a look at my website if you have questions, www.melissacribbins.com or call or send me an email. Always happy to talk and um, have a great night. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Mayor Anderson. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, politicians uh, often talk a lot and say a lot of things like, uh, I will do. I would like to leave you with a few things that I've actually accomplished so you can imagine what can be done for the coast when I'm elected. I built a new hospital with no new taxes to our citizens, brought educational scholarships to business owners to further their skills in running their small businesses partnered to create needed childcare by building the Early Learning Center, initiated relationships to break a 12-year standoff with ODOT and completed several road and safety projects, completed a new police station using mainly tourist dollars through the transit room tax, joined a dysfunctional city council and helped create a cohesive work environment headed a water conservation and efficiency project for the city, saving water and citizen dollars. I have the experience and creative thinking skills. 
I can get the job done. It's time to start working together as a functional unit. I'm ready to be your senator and would be honored to have your vote. I'd ask you uh, vote for Anderson, Anderson for the coast. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Weber. Thank you. I wanna thank everyone who participated in, in this uh, event. And I hope that everyone who participated uh, found it useful and learned about this campaign and what's going on in the Oregon legislature and beyond. This race, this election is about choices. The choice between my opponent, who's a longtime political activist that was handpicked by Portland elites, and me, who is an experienced nonpartisan mayor with a long nonpartisan track record who's been nominated by both the Independent Party of Oregon and the Libertarian Party. The choice between my opponent, who is endorsed by organizations, in spite of what she says, who want to defund the local police departments, and me, who is endorsed by um, the Oregon Coalition of Police and Sheriffs, the Oregon Chief of Police Association and the Sheriffs of Oregon, the choice between my opponent who called a $2 billion tax increase on small businesses a great start, and me who believes that we can fully fund education first without drowning our small businesses in taxes, the choice couldn't be more stark. I believe that there are already far too many partisan politicians in Salem and Portland sends enough of them and we don't need to send one there from here. I've been a strong nonpartisan uh, leader for decades, and I will bring that same strong voice and our common sense to Salem. And once again, thank you. And if you wanna find out more about my campaign or more about me or uh, chat with me about any of the issues that I have brought forward this, after, this evening, um, I'm on Facebook at, uh, Weber for Oregon, or you can call me at 503-994-0164, and I'm in the phone book. Thank you. Mrs. Booth Schmidt. Thank you. I wanna thank everybody for being here tonight. Um, these events are really good, gets the word out on how we all feel about things. I know what it's like to live in rural areas living paycheck to paycheck, not knowing if you have food for your kids the next day. As a small business owner, I know what it's been like navigating through the COVID crisis and making payroll in tough times. I want better for my constituents. That is why I am running for House District 32. I will not take money from large out-of-state corporations. No matter what happens at the federal level, I will fight for a woman's right to choose. I will fight to make sure that employers cannot terminate employees because of gender identity. I will not roll back funding for our schools. And I will not lie to you. Everything that has been produced by my campaign has been fact-checked and the source of those facts have been included in our materials. I will not walk out on a job you elect me to do. I will reach out and have those hard conversations with stakeholders 
and come up with solutions, not obstructions. I will listen and give voice to the most vulnerable and work for our entire community to ensure that we have a future with, where people are thriving in living wage jobs, affordable housing, with quality education and healthcare, and clean, safe drinking water. I will support our small businesses. As your state legislature, I will have an open door and an open mind and work to unite our district. I will use a practical sense approach to gain real benefits and represent the people of this district. Follow me, Debbie, for Oregon.com. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, uh, Mr. Sherman. Okay, thank you. So it's uh, been a real pleasure this evening. Uh, when I first decided to throw my name in the hat, I had uh, a rather different vision of what running for an office was going to be like, uh, you know, and uh, uh, Zoom used to be a sound I made with the grandkids uh, when we were playing with their trucks, uh, not an everyday uh, life experience for campaigning. Um, would have very much appreciate your vote. Uh, and I just ask you to take a look at the last uh, 10 years with our Oregon legislator uh, and ask yourself, are you, are you satisfied with the way the state of Oregon is going? Uh, we've had nearly double digit increases in our state budget uh, every year for the last uh, 10 years. Uh, and that's been at the cost of our small businesses, our farmers, uh, our loggers, uh, and the people that can afford this the least. Uh, we need to break the supermajority uh, and get away from the tax and spend and look at a more fiscally responsible Oregon uh, that's going to benefit all of us. Uh, our our uh, low-income families, our minority families are hurting uh, and they need to see some change. I would like to be part of change. Uh, and you can find out more about my uh, campaign at maxsherman.org. Uh, also, I'm in, endorsed by the Oregon Farm Bureau, uh, endorsed by uh, the National Association for Small Businesses and uh, Oregon Association for uh, uh, Cops and uh, uh, the, the Sheriffs. Uh, and uh, again, just appreciate uh, the time this evening. Uh, and uh, vote for Max. Thank you. And Representative Gomberg. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I too would like to ask everybody to take a look at the last 10 years and take a look at my votes and my efforts and my accomplishments, and then make the decision of whether you think that you should return me to Salem to continue to represent you. Campaigns are hard. I mean, they're really hard and they're particularly hard on the candidates. But what I hear tonight is for the most part, we agree more than we disagree uh, in these conversations. But there are times and places where we do disagree and that's okay, but we need to work our way through that. We need to listen to each other. We need to um, work together and we need to find a way to make sure that, that, that we don't have situations where somebody wins everything and somebody else loses everything, but rather there's a certain amount in everything that we do that's going to accommodate um, uh, the people we represent. Yeah, I want to spend my closing moments talking about the Coastal Caucus. That's that group of legislators in the House and the Senate who represent coastal districts that are both Republicans and Democrats. And there's going to be big changes in the Coastal Caucus this next year with the retirement of, uh, of Arnie Roblin and Caddy McEwen and Tiffany Mitchell, at least three new members. But this is a group that works together. They work together not for Portland, not for party, 
but to help the coast. And I think that's the way it should be. It's a great example of how the legislature can work to the benefit of the districts and the people that we were sent there to try and support. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. You know, the Republican chair of the Coastal Caucus has asked me to chair it next year. And I look forward to that challenge, particularly with so many new members. So I just wanna say thank you again for this evening and thank you um, for your interest in these important uh, uh, races. Be sure and return your ballots early. They're in the mail now. Thank you so much for honoring me with the responsibility of representing you. Thank you so much to all of you. You can't hear everybody else, so I'll do it for you. Um, I really appreciate you being here this evening and taking time out to meet with all of us. And I appreciate everybody letting us into their homes. It's so it's so nice to see everybody so comfortable and yet letting us be part of your household tonight. Thank you so much. We are going to shift into the county sheriff's race for Tillamook. Um, we're just going to take a, a minute here to shift gears. Um, I'm going to mute the uh, state candidates if you don't do it yourselves. And um, you're very welcome to stay and to, to listen to this part of our um, uh candidates forum. I'm going to give everyone just a few seconds. If you have questions you'd like to put into chat, please do so now. Um, and then we will get started. Uh, do our candidates need a quick rest break? I don't know how to more delicately put that. Are you both good? Okay, I'm going to unmute you now. Okay. So you each have three minutes to um, provide your opening remarks and then we'll move into questions. So I will start with Deputy Brown. Can you hear me okay? I sure can. All right. Um, so my name's Josh Brown. I am running for Tillamook County Sheriff. I have been a lifelong resident of Tillamook County. I was born and raised here. I've got many family members still here and I've got a long family history in this community. Um, I've raised my four children in this community. Like I said, I've got lots of family, my parents, siblings, nieces, nephews, et cetera. Um, this, this community is my home and I, I very much have a, a strong interest in the well-being of it. Um, one of the strong reasons why I decided to run for this is, is so that I can have uh, you know, take a very active part in that. Um, I've been with the sheriff's office for over 15 years. I actually volunteered in the jail for about a year before I was officially hired in 2005 as a corrections deputy. I served in that role for seven years before transferring over to the patrol division. When I came to patrol or the criminal side is what, it, what we also call it, I was uh, assigned to the Sand Lake Recreation Area. That's one of our contract position, which means that the funding for that position comes from monies outside of the general fund. Um, I worked in that for four seasons before uh, bidding myself back into regular patrol, which is where I'm at now. I'm a night shift deputy. Um, all of those roles gave me you know, a vast amount of experience, uh, learning communication, learning how to deal with people, knowledge of the court system, et cetera. Um, I managed the inmate worker program within the, when the jail when I worked there. Uh, I was a senior training officer, so I trained many, if not all, the recruits that came through, or at least at some portion I had a, a hand in training them. 
when I came over to patrol, I, I kept that status as a trainer. I've also uh, taken on additional roles as an instructor in, in standardized field sobriety testing, as well as emergency vehicle operations. I am the only emergency vehicle operations instructor in Tillamook County. I'm uh, one of three of the SFSP instructors. Um, I manage those programs and organize the trainings that go along with those. Um, I also am a part-time instructor at the academy in Salem. I, I help instruct all recruits across the state of Oregon. Uh, it's a great instructor team. It's great to be able to network and, and um, you know, learn myself. I consider myself always learning. I don't ever believe that I, that I have everything, you know, all the knowledge that I need. And so I just want to um, continue learning. I want to continue to serve this community and um, hope to be the, the sheriff. Thank you. Thank you. Lieutenant McCraw. Thank you. I'm Gordon McCraw and I'm running for Tillamook County Sheriff. First, I want to thank the AAUW for the opportunity. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I'm originally from Virginia, joined the Navy at 19, became an air traffic controller, or reached the level of facility supervisor. But after about 10 years of air traffic control, me and the blood pressure had it out, and they sent me back to school, and I became a certified forecaster. Some years later, while I was stationed in New Orleans, I was advanced chief petty officer and became the chief in charge of the weather detachment managing, of course, both the people and the annual budget. As I was approaching my military retirement, I attended a full-time night law enforcement academy and became a law enforcement officer, working as a reserve officer for a city just outside of New Orleans. As soon as I retired in, from the Navy in 1998, I went straight to work full-time for the Gretna Police Department. Working my way up, I was a field training officer, a crime scene technician, rewriting and teaching crime scene block in the academy, then became a patrol sergeant. It was a little while after Hurricane Katrina in 2005 that I was surprised one day when I got a call from former Sheriff Todd Anderson, who said he was up in Baton Rouge and asked if, if I'd come get him and he could have a visit. Unbeknownst to me, my wife, who's originally from Lincoln City, had been working through our sister-in-law who lives here in Tillamook. And the bottom line, I was recruited for Tillamook. I was interviewed and hired in 2006, began my career as a criminal deputy. I worked on the road a while, became a contract deputy in Garibaldi, then worked half-time patrol, half-time in emergency management. And during that time, I achieved my basic, intermediate, and advanced level law enforcement certificates. Then when the emergency manager retired in 2008, I was honored to be selected as his replacement. In 2016, Sheriff Andy Long promoted me to administrative lieutenant, and that made me third in overall command in the office. And over the years, I've maintained all my law enforcement certifications and I've continued to fill in on the road when we've had manpower shortages, helped in the jail, et cetera. I've been uh, the incident commander, multiple resources or managing multiple resources and personnel during many of our incident command team disaster activations. And I've also received my supervisor certification and attended and graduated from the Oregon State Sheriff's Association Command College. Um, I've written multiple budgets, enjoyed successful grants, bringing in hundreds of thousands of dollars to the county, been in law enforcement now for over 24 years, managing and supervising is what I do. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, so uh, the more local a race becomes, the more personal it gets. Uh, these questions reflect that. 
Um, my job here is to pull out the heart of these questions to give you as candidates the opportunity to um, reflect how you're going to behave in this position and, and what your goals are. So we have a number of questions on this um, particular issue, as you can imagine. Um, Tillamook struggles with racism and is not always a friendly place for people of color. What will you do in your role as sheriff to address this issue from a systemic perspective? So we'll start with you, uh, Lieutenant McCraw. Well, racism, I recognize that racism exists. Uh, coming from the South, I saw it a lot. Um, I don't see it as much here in Tillamook County as I did down South, but I can tell you, Sheriff, I won't tolerate it. Um, if he's been accused of racism, um, I will, or acting inappropriate in any manner, I'm, I'm going to have it thoroughly investigated and if found it, they'll be held accountable and make sure that the office is aware and I will anyway make them aware and maintain proper ethical behavior and make sure that they have the training that they need uh, and know the policies and procedures so that they all can be the best officers that they can be and we hopefully can eradicate it. Thank you. Deputy Brown. Well, I, I, I haven't really seen it firsthand in Tillamook County as well. That does not mean that it doesn't exist. I believe sometimes it gets hidden, you know, behind, um, you know, hidden, hidden and pushed away a little bit. Sometimes I do know it exists. Um, I think that personally trying to be preemptive with it as opposed to punishing it when it happens is probably a, a, a way that I would look at handling it. Um, Handling it before it happens would mean proper training, proper communication. And something I've preached since the beginning of my campaign is, is a fair and equal treatment across the board. If everybody is being treated fairly, equally, respectfully, that in and of itself starts to eliminate the majority of it. Um, making sure that that message is clear through the staff that I would, that, that as sheriff I would be um, leading, making sure that message is clear, making sure appropriate trainings are being taken, taken to, to minimize that or eliminate it altogether would actually be the direction I would want to go first. I wouldn't want to let it happen and then just punish it. Um, trainings help, and that's definitely something I do. Thank you. Uh, the next question, uh, somewhat similar. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, there are, they are tracking 15 hate groups in Oregon, including one in Tillamook. What would be your strategy if elected to maintain peace in our county and combat hate groups and local militias? And we'll start with you this time, Deputy Brown. Okay. I'm not familiar with that study. Um, and I hate to, to you know, quote or, or make assumptions about a study that I'm not specifically familiar with or which hate group that is said to be in Tillamook County. That being said, um, any group that decides to rally or protest in a peaceful manner. That is a right that they have. It's not only something I support, it's something I would protect. Regardless of the, the message that they're giving, it's a right that they have. The way that I would stand against that is, is any action that does become illegal would be, action would be taken um, in, in any way, shape or form. There is, there is uh, laws that protect things along those lines. And like I said, it's, it's, 
being able to speak you, what you want to say is a right that we have as Americans. And even if you disagree with what that person says, that right still has to be protected. When laws start to get broke, that's when action needs to be taken. That's the, that's the course I would take. Thank you. Lieutenant McCrow. Yeah, um, as we know, there's a lot of, of actions being taken over in Portland by the, these different groups. Um, I try to keep a close eye on and um, knowledgeable about what is going on in the area. And yeah, if, if you're having a peaceful protest, we have them all the time in Tillamook County and they're great. Um, but if they develop into something that you've seen over in Portland, where these peaceful demonstrations are taken over by some of the hate groups, then um, we definitely will take action to make sure that the peaceful people can continue to demonstrate the way they want without fear of the other group taking, uh, taking it away from them. Thank you. Um, so we'll start with you, Lieutenant McCraw. If Oregon passes a bill to ban assault rifles, will you enforce it? If they banned assault rifles, that's going against the Second Amendment again. And you know, my belief is that if you are going to attack one amendment, what's going to stop them from attacking the other amendments? Um, are they going to go against free speech next? Um, plus, if you think that uh, we have manpower enough to go knock on every door to find out if they've got assault weapons, um, no. Again, it's the, the sheriff's responsibility to... Uh, make sure the Constitution is adhered to, and that's part of the Constitution. So, um, obviously, I don't think we'd get to that point, but if we did, there's going to be some, some serious uh, studies going on. Thank you. Deputy Brown. Yeah, this, this uh, you know, obviously, in a race like this, it's come up quite often, and I've been um, pretty consistent with my stance. Number one, uh, I would really question how that law would be passed considering both the U.S. Constitution and the Oregon Constitution uh, protect our rights to have firearms. Um, so I'm not quite certain how Oregon would actually be able to pass a law like that, but I've made it very clear that I will protect constitutional rights and I will not take guns away from people. That's Thank where you. I stand and that hasn't changed. Thank you. Domestic and sexual violence is an issue in Tillamont County. During this pandemic, there have been concerns about an increase in the severity of domestic and sexual violence. What, if any, plans do you have to address the safety of victims? And we'll start with you, Deputy Brown. You know, I, I, we have a pretty good system right now, uh, some good partnerships with uh, agencies uh, what used to be Women's Resource, it's now Tides of Change. Um, that has been a, an amazing partnership with that group that helps protect victims in those cases. Uh, we have um, grants and uh, that help fund detectives that um, solely deal with domestic violence type cases, follow up steps that uh, help take or steps that, that help that process along. So 
making sure that those programs and those partnerships stay strong or even, you know, get stronger, uh, whether it be through funding or, or um, manpower, volunteers, whatever the case may be, that's going to be key in order to do that. Um, and I would agree that, I, that there has been an increase in domestic violence, case, violence cases. I'm a working cop and I've seen it firsthand, but I've also seen those partnerships work. Thank you. Lieutenant McCraw. Yes, um, we've got detective or a detective that works with uh, the agencies that detect or Officer Brown was just talking about. And if I was in there, I'm going to work towards uh, getting a grant or something that we could increase the manpower over there to add additional resources to work with the different agencies and the individuals to try to bring down the level um, that, as you say, has been increasing as a result of COVID. COVID has created a lot of problems and that is another one that uh, we need to look at. Thank you. Advocates for measure 110 estimate that its passage and implementation could save the state justice system over $12 million per year. Do you support or oppose measure 110 and how do you think it would impact our local law enforcement budget and efficiency of services? And now we'll start with you, Lieutenant Crow. Well, um, I haven't dulled into it deep enough to, to know exactly how well or how unwell it would affect the budgeting for law enforcement. Um, I can tell you that COVID-19 is a concern with the budgets because of course at the local level, we're having severe impacts with uh, how the budget's going to work out. The state's having additional issues about how the, the COVID's affecting them. And so um, anytime you have a measure and the money is going to the state, exactly how it's gonna end up rolling out uh, sometimes doesn't end up being exactly what, what people thought it would be. So um, I think it would be have to be closely watched and see um, exactly what the wording is once it hits the street. Thank you. Deputy Brown? Uh, just to confirm, Measure 110 is the reduction of certain narcotic crimes to missed uh, violations, correct? It's just what the question uh, said. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, Measure 110 has to do with reducing the, the, the narcotic crimes down to violations. So coming from a standpoint of somebody that deals with it on the street on a daily basis. I understand that the funding um, is an issue and it could be used to um, create those centers that could help substance abuse. The problem is, is that the people that are getting in trouble for possession of that stuff need to want that help. So we can fund those all we want, but the fact is, is that if they can get away with it by only getting a piece of paper saying that it's just a violation and a hundred dollar fine, I really don't think it's gonna work. I'm not actually in support of 110. Thank you. <clears throat> As a small business owner, I'll speak from the person's perspective that wrote the question. As a small business owner, I wear many hats. The sheriff, also wears many hats and for multiple divisions. How does your experience prepare you to successfully manage the multiple facets of being Tillamook County Sheriff 
didn't mean to end it on such a weird note. Uh, manage the multiple facets of being Tillamook County Sheriff. Um, um, yep. Am I first? Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I participate in a lot of activities within the community. I coached for 10 years, uh, all the way from YMCA up to high school level. So there's management experience in running those programs, as well as dealing with, you know, the youth. I'm part of the um, Tillamook County Fair Board. Uh, so that's a completely different um, type of a board and workload that goes along there. I've worked in almost every division within the sheriff's office, with the exception of probably pro and probation. I do, however, communicate with them regularly. Um, I communicate regularly with jail staff. I've worked in the jail, so I'm very familiar with that. I've obviously worked in patrol and currently am. I work in the civil department uh, or work with the civil department. I serve civil papers, each of which have their own uh, criteria for service. Jail, civil service, search and rescue are the three mandates. I also have attended numerous search and rescues, so I'm familiar with all aspects of it. Thank you. Lieutenant McCraw. Anybody that knows me knows already that I'm wearing a lot of different hats. Uh, just to run through as quick as I can, some of the boards and committees I'm on, in addition to everything else, is I'm on the EMS Advisory Council, the vice chair of the 911 Advisory Board, uh, the county liaison between Tillamook Bay Flood Improvement District, um, local emergency planning committee member. I'm on uh, uh, the church uh, command or vestry. I'm a board member of Marie Mills. And so there's a lot of hats that I'm already wearing. Um, and I think that uh, all these have prepared me to do whatever um, is thrown at me as the sheriff. Thank you. Um, residents of Tierra Del Mar have experienced the negative impact of limited enforcement resources available to, our, to their small coastal residential community. They routinely have called the sheriff's office about enforcement issues like vehicles illegally parked overnight or camping in their vehicles on the beach along the Sand Lake Road right of way adjacent to the Tierra Del Mar Beach and the blatant violation with motor vehicles driving and parking north of the beach access point. We get infrequent responses. Driving on the beach, and especially in front of our residential community, is an ongoing health and safety issue. As sheriff, what's your opinion of when enough is enough? Will you speak out in support of closing Tillamook County beaches to motor vehicles, accept accompanying, accompanying the launching of dory boats at Pacific City, and pledge to actively issue citations to vehicles that are camping overnight along Sand Lake Road and on the beach? And we will start with you, Lieutenant McCall. Obviously, um, with only three officers on uh, during the day and at night to cover the entire county, it makes it very difficult. We know that uh, this summertime, it was extremely difficult down, down in the Pacific City, uh, Cape Kiwanda, and Tierra Del Mar areas. We altered the staffing levels to increase the levels down there during that time. Um, we're also looking at some parking potential parking fees that could help uh, add some staffing levels down in that area. So I think that there's a, a double-edged sword there to put more cars on the beach. You're putting the people that are walking on the beach at risk. But I do think that there should be some areas uh, that could allow parking so that um, the congestion that we saw this past year and the minimum parking 
availability uh, is eased somewhat. Thank you. Deputy Brown. So I've actually talked with a, a few of the residents because I my main patrol area is South County. So I'm actually very familiar with uh, um, you know those issues that that this question directly speaks of. Um, one question, I mean, one part of that question was, you know, when is enough enough? Well, my answer to that is enough is enough right now. Um, and I, like I said, I've had conversations to try to, um, you know, help the citizens down there understand that, you know, we, we as a sheriff's office do believe that enough is enough for a lot of those violations. Um, but again, it's a question of manpower. And I tried to explain this to one, one particular person I talked with, you know, they could tell us that there's a car driving on the beach beyond the closure but we could be in Descoin or we could be up Blaine Road or something, and I'm the only South County deputy. And so being able to get there to cover it is, is virtually impossible. And as far as the question about closing down the beaches, I, I would like to see what people are actually proposing because if you take cars off of the beaches, you're going to get into the congestion problem parking. Thank you. That is a complicated question. I apologize that it had to be a minute. Um, so uh, let's see, we've got a couple more questions. Um, many have stated that there is a morale issue in the, in the sheriff's office. Do you agree? And we'll start with you, uh, Deputy Brown. Um, I believe that there is a low morale issue within the sheriff's office for certain right now. Um, as a as a member of that office that does not carry a title, I can tell you from, from my standpoint, having been there for 15 years, I've seen that sheriff's office on a high. I've seen it feel like a family where we go out and we do things with each other off of uh, off duty. We felt trusted. We felt um, like we were allowed to do what we needed to do. And, and it wasn't questioned in a sense because we were trusted. Right now, I feel like we're very micromanaged. We tiptoe around like we're um, going to get rode up for all sorts of things. Uh, there's a lot of tension in the office. So I absolutely believe that there is low morale. Thank you. Lieutenant McCraw. Uh, you know, again, I've been there for 14 years and, and I can tell you that law enforcement is changing, has been changing. Um, we're requiring more law enforcement officers and um, I, I disagree that I, I believe that the morale in the in the office is actually getting much better um, that would be demonstrated because in the past you would have officers that would leave Tillamook County and go to work for the sheriff's office right now we have this the opposite people leaving the, the uh, state police and coming to us um, and as well as the city and coming to us so I think that uh, that we're getting better and Law enforcement's changing, and unfortunately, sometimes change is not accepted by some individuals. Thank you. We have one more question. Well, we have many more questions, but we have one more question, um, and then we'll move into your closing arguments. I've clearly been up too late. There are no arguments. These are your closing comments about why you're the best candidate for this position. Um, so let me get up here. It was sent early on in the evening. Uh, 
Um, and this is this is kind of an interesting question, um, in that I, it could happen. Um, how do you stand with groups bearing guns at the county courthouse during rallies? So I'll start with you, uh, Lieutenant McCraw. Right to bear arms again. Um, we've seen it in other places. As long as they are doing so safely, they have the right to do so. As long as they're, they, you know, carrying it correctly and, and um, that kind of stuff. So, um, are they are they looking at us to to not allow them to do what is legal? Um, I would. I would hesitate to say we can't come in the courthouse with them, but if you want to stand outside with your guns um, in a lawful manner, then then that's going to be acceptable. Okay. Deputy Brown. Um, you know, that that's a, a, a short question, but it kind of leaves a lot of questions in my mind, I guess. I mean, is it a rally? Is it a protest? Is it just people randomly wanting to stand there with their firearms? That being said, you know, open carry in a legal manner is legal. If it's a rally, if it's a protest, if it's meant to stand for something, I touched on it earlier, I'll protect that right because that is a right that we as American citizens have. Whether we agree with it or not, we have to respect that it's a right and that right has to be protected. As a sheriff, you have to, you have to protect those rights and you have to follow the law. And if they're not being illegal in their actions and they are rightfully protesting under their, their, their rights, it's a, it's protected. So they are allowed to do it. Okay. Thank you. So now we will move into your final remarks. This is your opportunity to sell yourself to the folks on our, on our call. We have, 49 people who have stuck with us into this late hour because they're that interested in this race. And um, so now's your opportunity to speak directly to them. And uh, we will start with you, uh, Deputy Brown. Two minutes, I will give you the, the one mark at 30 seconds and the two mark at 15 and then you're done, okay? Thank you, okay. here we go. Well, I just want to say thank you to you guys for putting on this event. I want to say thanks to the co-host, Lisa. I want to say thanks for being the moderator. You've done an excellent job, if I do say so myself. Um, what I want to say is, is law enforcement is, is changing. You know, the dynamic of, of what we do and how we do it and how the public views us, it's changing. Um, that has become increasingly evident by this year's, you know, events. And change is not necessarily bad as long as that change is done correctly and it's done for the right reasons. Um, to think that the sheriff's office can just stay on the same line and, and, and maintain a status quo is, is, I think, looking at it from a standpoint that's, in, that's not correct. Change is inevitable. Change needs to happen. Positive change needs to happen. And I believe that I represent that change. And I want the sheriff's office to be the leading edge of that positive change and make our office an example for other agencies. I have fresh ideas. I'm a free thinker. I'm very positive and um, uh, a very good hearted, good natured person that believes in what I do and what our department does. And I just want to make that, make that change and that, and everything happen in a positive way to make our community be, be trusting and strong with us. 
Um, ballots are coming out today. I am asking for your vote. Uh, and I very much hope to be uh, your sheriff on November 3rd and uh, look forward to that opportunity. Thanks again for letting me be here. Thank you. Lieutenant McCraw. Yes, uh, thank you all for putting this on. COVID has made everything a challenge. Um, I think we're all becoming Zoom experts. Um, I look forward to putting this COVID incident in the rearview mirror. As you know, I've lived in big cities all my life, and uh, up to this point, the only thing regret I have is I should have moved out here sooner. I love it here. I love the people. I love the scenery. I even love the weather. Um, I don't miss the hurricanes and the humidity at all. I think my life and my jobs up to this point have all prepared me to be your next sheriff. I've been a manager, a supervisor in many different jobs, including in law enforcement. I'm a proven leader, and I've also proven I can adapt to any challenges that's thrown out there. Um, you guys have managed to throw quite a few, uh, Tillamook County anyway, and the weather and, and et cetera, has thrown quite a few at me. So um, I'm just excited and honored and hope that uh, I'm your next sheriff. Thank you. Well, with that, everybody, we wrap up our um, candidates from, I'd like to thank our chair's candidates for being here. Imagine hundreds of people applauding. And um, I appreciate the time that you took to be with us and for the candidates that are still on board, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this very important local race because some of you will be working with the next county sheriff. Um, and again, I'd like to thank all of our, all of our co-hosts and sponsors. We have Headlight Herald, the Tillamook Headlight Herald, Tillamook Bay Community College, um, uh, the Pacific City Nestucca Valley Chamber of Commerce, and KMUN. Um, and again, uh, they will be rebroadcasting this. And also, Headlight Herald will be um, posting this recording once we get it completed. And it will be available if you'd like to have your neighbors and friends take a listen. Um, again, thank you to all of you that stuck with us. This was great. It was a very fast two hours and 15 minutes for me. I can't speak for you, but this was a great, a great event. And I, I think this is something we could certainly do again. And uh, thank you, AAUW, for always letting me do this. And uh, Susan, uh, is there anything that you'd like to say um, to wrap up for the organization? I can always talk, but I do appreciate everything that was done. I appreciate the civility of this and the questions that came out and the answers that were given. And um, I hope you all sleep well tonight. And thank you, Lisa, again. Yep. So vote, vote, vote. And um, that's why we're here tonight. So make your educated decisions. Vote for the candidate that touches you and um, you'll make the right decision. Thank you very much, everybody. Mm -hmm.